struggling with what to watch tonight? Just finished The Atom Project? Not sure what to do while waiting for the next season of Stranger Things? Go to any streaming service and they will have dozens of suggested programs to fill your time. Recommender systems are always marketing to us. From Netflix telling us what movie we should watch next, to Amazon suggesting what books we should read, and Instacart promoting that brand new type of butter that you just need to buy, we are constantly being influenced and seduced by these algorithms and the humans behind them. I'm Liberty Vitter, feature editor of the Harvard Data Science Review, and today on the podcast, my co-host Shaoli Meng and I examine the pros and cons of recommender systems, as well as the art, passion, and creativity that can be lost when we rely too heavily on them. We speak with the leading data scientist on recommender systems, Dr. Pearl Pugh. Pearl is a senior scientist at the Faculty of Information and Communication Sciences at EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. And filmmaker Bran Anderson, whose most recent film, Refugee, about a Syrian doctor's escape from her war-torn country, was shortlisted for an Oscar. Let's go! With such diverse guests, we see both sides of the coin and end with an inspiring hope for the future. But for now, let's start at the beginning. Pearl explains what these recommender systems actually are. The original idea or the premise of recommender system is really very simple. It um, proactively suggests items of interest to users. So if the suggestions are good, then users are happy. And if they are happy, they will buy items suggested to them and come back for more. So these two qualities translate directly into revenue and customer loyalty. In the beginning, the system was uh, really built to address users' needs, uh, the needs of uh, finding information under the condition of you know, information overload or choice overload. And um, the early industry adopters are Amazon and Netflix. So there are two types. And the first one is called collaborative filtering. It basically doesn't look at the content of a movie or content of a product. It basically only looks at rating. So I'm just going to look at, for example, Shaoli, how you rate the movies that you have seen. And if they somehow are similar to the ones that I have seen, we basically assume whatever he's interested in in the future will be something that, you know, should be recommended to me. So that's purely rating based. But actually, I'm working on the type of recommender system we call a product recommender is very much based on content. Uh, so we distinguish two types of products. So we talk about entertainment products, but we also talk about high risk or financial high stake products. So if I'm buying a house, I'm not going to let a recommender system tell me what my neighbor liked before. So I would want to really say, I like this house because it has all these features and maybe I wanted to trade some features with, you know, let's say the space with uh, a smaller house, which is closer to the lake. So if I talk about that type of content-based recommender system for moving industry, then users will have a lot more liberty and freedom to say, 
you know, I, I like a different kind of movie than the one you suggested to me. Instead of a uh, male director, I'd like to see similar type of movie by female director. But um, so far, uh, let's say the industry for entertainment product is mainly using rating-based recommender system, such as Netflix, uh, YouTube, many industry service providers. That's interesting. So it doesn't take out, you know, I, I always thought about it, like, let's say I love movies with Jake Gyllenhaal in it. And so I watch one of Brand's movies and it has Jake Gyllenhaal in it and it's about refugees and I give it the highest rating in the world. But then maybe it, like, I guess the recommender system has to decide whether to give me more movies with Jake Gyllenhaal or to give me more movies about refugees and trying to disentangle which one of those things is what I care about must be hard for the recommendation system. Uh, you're right, Liberty, because um, in the rating-based recommender system, uh, the details of an item and the description, they're not really used to calculate what your future interest is. But I think today, even those recommended technology used in industry employ some kind of uh, combination of different approaches. So content as well as rating based. And some of the uh, recent technology even use users search query to, you know, incorporate more information in the process. Brant, I, you know, I sort of think about it as almost you're using data, maybe not hard data, but you're using your own information as sort of a recommendation system in its own right, like you're recommending to people. And is it, is that how it works? You know, like what information do you use to think about what people want to watch? Or are you choosing to show them what they want? You know, where does it go? What's the chicken and the egg? Is it you showing them or is it them showing you? And what sort of data, if you will, are you using to do that yourself? So on my side, it's really what is appealing to me because, um, as an artist, I have to create what feels right in my heart. You know, for me, like, I feel passionately about cause-related issues, true stories, things about, for example, refugees, which I know is something, Liberty, that you also feel strongly about. You know, that's, that's something that moves me. So when I look at that, I go like, okay, well, I hope this matches up with the market data that Pearl is an expert on. But whether it is or not, like, I, I have to create what my heart feels. I'm going to create content, films, media that, that moves, first of all, me, because it moves me to create. And then secondly, I hope that because it moves me, I'll find ways for it to relate to you all. And it will then work inside of the flow. That's the creative side of it. On the business side, I have to look at it and say, like, based on algorithms, like, what actors work? And can I match some of these two things up? Like, I want to create films on refugees. Okay. Are there actors within this sphere that could work in this film who commercially also work for people to want to search the film? Because the worst thing for an artist or a filmmaker is you create art and then in my medium, which is film, no one sees it. I don't want that. I don't want to create art in a vacuum. So like there is an element of this, how it actually, it works in unison. The only issue is at least on my side, like, I can only create what I feel, so like I can't just go off of an algorithm. That makes perfect sense to me. And uh, how does the streaming service influence movie house and films 
release, you know, through the theater, Netflix, you know, HBO, that you mentioned you want to make sure whatever you do, you know, others, you know, want to see it. And I assume there's a process there that, you know, can help or can also make it harder for you. Yeah. So on the indie side, you know, we're, we're making a lot of movies based off of either partial sales. So you sell certain territories and then you're raising money off of those territories, also some equity money and possibly some debt from tax, you know, so we are looking at what is the viability of a film based on content, based on actors, and it has to match up to the market from that standpoint. That market is driven by the data that Pearl's discussing. But what I would just say on like how we relate that is it's really a miracle when all of those things combine to create something that's going to be successful because I'm going to make a film if I can make it on refugees, you know, whether or not the market is asking for it right now. I hope that they'll see where the heart comes in it, but the data Pearl could speak to probably doesn't necessarily say that. And so like those are forces working against it, you know, but I just hope that it's an anomaly in that case. But to continue making films over and over again, we're looking at this data in some way. It's just in a lot of ways, I think it ends, it ends up becoming intuitive or you look at it based on okay, how is that data pulling from actors who are actually being queried in, in these searches that, that we're talking about? So, Liberty, I wanted to follow up on a, a question that is what you said about now you can have the consumers to express, you know, preference, depends on the content. But uh, I guess technologically, there's nothing stop the recovery system to taking into account of preference from artists, for example, from brands, say, well, I want more people to watch the, you know, refugee mo movies. Uh, and that, of course, gets into space, which can be controversial because now you start trying to influence the consumers' behaviors or even how they, how they think. But to what extent that has already happened? Is there any study about how the, the company system is changing people's behaviors or the preference, you know, whatever it is? Yeah, so in 2004 and 2005, we did two studies and using content-based recommender system technology, we proved that uh, users are able to increase their decision accuracy by up to 57% when they use a particular uh, type of uh, tool, what we call the example critiquing. And the idea of that is that when the system recommends an item to me, uh, instead of just consuming it, I have a particular interaction with that, with the system, I will be like negotiating. I will be saying that I, you know, maybe I, instead of the blue jacket, I want a black one because I already have lots of blue jackets. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. So, so for that type of um, decision scenario, uh, so decision accuracy is really important for consumers and the increased decision accuracy directly translates to perceived confidence. You know, when, when you recommend something, they have to feel that it makes me more confident in choosing it because people don't like making decisions. So if there's a technology that helped me to make something quicker, a quicker decision, it's always a, always a good thing. And then later on in 2000, I think 14, uh, some researchers from Wharton School studied rating-based recommender systems and indicated um, something like 24% of increase in view and then something like 35% increase in purchase. 
So that's that's a lot for rating based recommender systems. That's huge. I I can't help but think, you know, both to both of you, but uh, Brant, if you'd start, you know, is there a danger? in these recommendation services changing our taste? Is the system influencing us or do we influence the system? And does that mean I miss out on a movie I might be really interested in about refugees? Is there, do you see that danger as a filmmaker? I see the real danger when like my kids accidentally hop on my side of Netflix and like start choosing movies off of my profile. That's where I see the real danger happening. <laughs> but but I, 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 I mean, I think there is because it does start to limit your sphere a little bit of what you're, you're actually seeing. You know, like here's an interesting example. Like my wife had not set up her own profile. She was using mine and all she watches is Korean TV. Now, that's cool, but that's literally all she watches. And so all of a sudden, like, none of the films that I would watch were being recommended in any way, shape, or form. So if you now switch that and you say, well, like, maybe one day I got a wild hair and I decided to watch a, a movie, a, a big blockbuster movie that maybe maybe is not my normal movie that I would watch. Now all of a sudden, all of those are being recommended. Like, okay, do I, Pearl can answer this, do I then have to go back and start watching the types of movies that I, the more, like, art house movies to actually start getting those to, to recommend back? I also think it could operate in the opposite way to where like it may recommend films that you've never possibly heard of. So I produced a film for the director of Napoleon Dynamite. Pretty much everyone in the world has seen Napoleon Dynamite. We did a film. It didn't get a lot of coverage. Like it went to Sundance and then like no one saw it after that. But if you watch Napoleon Dynamite on Netflix, let's say that film will now be recommended. That's cool for me as the filmmaker in that situation. So maybe it kind of works both ways and counteracts. I think Pearl can probably speak to that better than I can. Yeah, so for, for years, I advocated uh, user control in the recommended technology. And the idea is that uh, I, I think some service providers uh, included this feature. So I, I believe at Amazon, you can actually say, please do not use this item to recommend other items to me. So you can actually click them out. Oh, I see. Um, but to answer your question also, Liberty, your question about consumer behavior, I think it's really interesting to look at the history. So this thing started in the early 90s. People created this tool uh, in order to filter out uh, junk email. And we created the product tool to help people increase their decision uh, accuracy. So a lot of people actually went there seeking help. And then around uh, 2010 and 14, we realized uh, increasingly the power of that revenue lift, like the increase of the click-through rate. So almost all of the industry service providers are adopting this technology for their benefit. Of course, also for the benefit of the users. Now, recently I read a study that says that this is among students. The students are much more willing to pay for a song that is recommended to them, even though the scientists actually manipulated it. So it means that basically we're willing to pay more for an item recommended to me than, you know, I, I don't believe myself anymore. So that, that is a danger. 
That danger probably happens in many places now because we are influenced by all the digital information out there. Um, we just talk about both in terms of the commercial interest, right, for doing this recombinant system. We also talk about the danger of the such system. But there's a broader question then is, uh, particularly for Pro for you, that when you design these systems, what are the metrics you use? for deciding whether the system is working or not working, whether that should be influenced by commercial interest or you know, serving, and how do you make a decision in terms of, I assume you have some evaluation criterias you know, to decide whether the system is working or not and improve them, so on and so forth. Yeah, so, so again, there are two camps of researchers. One, we just use like algorithm accuracy uh, so we can talk about uh, precision recall and we can talk about F1 score, which is the harmonic mean of the two. And then we basically, you know, can measure the performance of an algorithm or technology using offline uh, experiments. But uh, in the other camp, which is uh, where I belong, we're also concerned about the user experience. How do they interact with the system? How do they express their preferences? Whether they like uh, the items recommended to them, whether the system offers to explain why they receive uh, those recommendations. So when you look at the user experience, you immediately realize that there's more to algorithm accuracy. You have also all these um, user-centric factors. So in my work, I created a framework to evaluate the success of recommended system. And we looked at all those factors and we built a model to explain how they influence the ultimate um, adoption behavior. So it's not just algorithm accuracy alone, but a lot of the other uh, system features and the user experience design that influence um, their satisfaction. What algorithm accuracy you're referring to? I mean, if it's accurate in becoming something the user wants, but then that becomes user's choice, what, what's the separate consideration in terms of the algorithm accuracy here? Okay, so algorithm accuracy is basically taking a whole bunch of data. And this, this is the rating data that was accumulated from the past. And I can actually take out some of the data and we call it held out data. So let's say you already experienced 10 movies and I take out five of them and I create the recommendation prediction about those five that I took out. And then I basically have a baseline to compute uh, the difference between these two uh, scenarios. I see. Brant, I can't help but ask, you know, we have these, you know, it, I, I've, I've gotten to listen to you talk and I've gotten to see your movies and that there is so much art and so much um, of your sort of love and passion that gets poured into this. And to have everything be distilled down to these metrics of a recommendation system as to why someone might want to watch your movie or not, you know, that... I, I don't know, it almost, I don't even, I'm not even an art, I mean, I haven't been to a museum in God knows how long. I hate museums. But it still feels kind of bad to me that that art is getting lost. But recommendation systems aren't going anywhere. So what would you want the metrics to be that rate a really good recommendation system? Like, what would you see as the future if you still want to give that art and that passion that you have without... I mean, without, you know, sort of unfacing the inevitable, which is that they're still going to exist. That's an amazing question, Liberty. That's a really, really interesting question. 
listen, I believe in a free market. So like, I, I wouldn't impose my own will, you know, I, I guess if I was going to just like wave a magic wand, I would say, well, everyone should like the movies that I watch. But but you know, that that's ridiculous. Like, I, I don't believe that anyway, by the way. But look, I think it's taking the stuff that I as a filmmaker want to make, and just making sure that that matches up with people who have watched things that are similar, regardless of like, maybe it's further, maybe it's a further reaching strand, like maybe that connection point is just a little bit thinner than it would have otherwise been. But I really look at it, Liberty, I look at it to say like, I put the onus on me. I believe it's on me to make the sort of films that like people will want to watch and will seek out. And then like, I know that if I do that, then it, it doesn't really matter. Like if you like Transformers or, or you like Parasite, it doesn't really matter. If I do a good enough job and if there's enough heart into it, and whether it's in Arabic, which is what my next film is in, or it's in English, it doesn't really matter as long as I do my job. So I don't put the onus on, on the bots. I don't put the onus on even you as, as the viewer. Like, I believe it's on me. And the only way I know how to do it, because otherwise if I get too entrenched in what, uh, what the outside influences are, it just becomes like vulgar in my head. So like, for me, it's really just, okay, what's in my heart? And now how do I display that on screen in a way that hopefully will relate to Pearl, to you, and to my 14 year old? And if I can do that, then then I've succeeded. And, and 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 if I can't, then I'll make like little films that no one will ever see. And like, you know, um, maybe someone like 50 years from now will discover it and be like, I liked that one part of that film. And then they'll go on to make a masterpiece. I mean, that's the only thing that like I can keep like I can hold like pulling forward to the future, you know. I think uh, that's a really uh, Liberty. That's really a terrific question because it's also a general question for the data science community. A lot of things in life that cannot be measured simply, certainly in the arts domains. I mean, lots of social science questions. You know, we ask people's opinions. They ask them to measure them one to ten. Well, frankly, you know, most people don't really know these scales. That you know, they may answer five in the morning. In the afternoon, it would become seven. You know, you, you just have so much variation there. So I think there's a broad challenge question for really for uh, Pearl and, and others working in these areas. What what are the, what will, could be the innovations in these systems that can uh, help brand other artists to express their you know creativity, you know passions instead of we all borrow down to numbers we have to measure like into ratings in terms of money make you know the how many movies you you made right this is a, also the in academia we have a big problems like you know uh, I used to be a dean, so I was thinking about promotions you know re recruitment, and there's issues always about you know are you really reading people's papers in terms of their measure their quality or are you just counting how many papers they're published? Obviously, counting the papers is much easier than trying to read the quality, especially if you're not in this domain. So, what are the works now moving towards this? Um, not measure the obvious ones, but harder ones that really get to the kind of uh, 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 creativity you know Brand is is really talking about. It is really a difficult question. I don't think there are uh, ways to really uh, address that. And um, I think if you look at uh, in any individual, let's say uh, you, myself, uh, the amount of recommendation that we use to watch the next movie, 
I don't think that's, you know, I, I wouldn't say 100% of my movies recommended to me is going to define what I wanted to consume the next few weeks. Uh, so other forms of recommendation from friends, from social, uh, going to the movie together, discovery, things are still going on. So I think mm. Brad's uh, answer is really good. If you make a really, uh, you know, movie that you want other people uh, to watch, you have something to say. I mean, a recommender system or the technology is not going to stop that. Uh, but what I am worried about is in, let's say, some entertainment service provider, very simple, like a little video clip, like what you get from YouTube. People are really consuming because it's so easy, it's so available to them. And then when you look at, you look at consumers and you look at content providers. So if we look at, you know, how accurate a uh, recommender system they are, basically they will never watch the, the indie videos that are not that popular. So if we come back and think about the, the algorithm that I was talking about, one of them is called nearest neighbor. So if I, if I take the best K of movies that I've watched, I'm only getting the most popular things recommended to me. That means somebody out there, you know, they produce very good content. They will never have the exposure. You see the danger? So that explains why recently uh, a lot of us are starting to address what we call the fairness issues of recommended technology. Uh, we're talking about exposure. We're talking about algorithms and models that um, have inherent biases because it's learning historical data. That fairness question has been a really big one for, again, for the broader data science community as well as the issues of transparency, right? You know, but I wanted to uh, uh, ask a little bit more about the the major kind of milestones uh, in, in terms of recommendation system development, you know, historically, what I, what I had the big steps uh -huh. and, and it will be the next one. So, so, so the milestones are again, you know, uh, technology or algorithm centric uh, track. So we see neighborhood methods and then we have matrix factorization methods. And now we have deep learning models. But on the other side, which is the camp where I belong, when we look at user experience, we want we were like first concerned about the accuracy. We were concerned about diversity, discovery, and then all kinds of you know ability to interact with a system. And now we're worried about or we started to address the fairness issues. But I'm very inspired by today's uh, conversation. I think someone should also look at the art part, look at uh, maybe serendipitous recommendation. These are things we haven't we haven't really thought about, uh, you know, because we're like just the, you know IT nerds. We're just looking at numbers, and it's easy to deal with. And I'm kind of interested in human uh, in the loop kind of thing. But I still haven't gone to the real creative part because that's really really hard. It's funny that you say that's so hard. I see your part is so hard. The creative part is you know fairly hard. But but it's I see your part is like unbelievably hard so perspective is everything mm -hmm. agree agree 
You're brilliant, yeah. Pearl. You're just brilliant. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I will watch your movies, definitely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Look, I, saw, I saw movies by brand, but I think there are more. No, see, this is the kind of recommendation that's going on. And regardless of technology, um, I, I almost become, you know, apologetic to, <laughs> to the techniques. I actually the, just think that if, if we could just get everyone on the same mindset as Pearl, then the recommend will always come down to to movies that I make, and that 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 just solves everything for me, at least. That, that's that <laughs> solves every for every every artist, you know. A, but spread but, the word, Pearl. Please spread the word. Okay, <laughs> I will. I'm very encouraged because for for many years, I always advocate. You can say instead of this director, I want to see you know so and so's movie, you know, similar to the one you recommend to me. So this kind of interaction, I I want the community to do more. I think with the fairness uh, issues on the forefront of the field, I think we have a chance to push for that technology more. It's, that's very encouraging. I think I, so I mean, Brant, um, we may be more on the same wave, wavelength than we think because magic wand is always our final question. And you, um, Brant, have already answered it by saying that, you know, that thinner line, that thinner connection of what you could actually be able to be recommended in a movie is in some ways your magic wand. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to push it a little bit further for Brant. So for, for Pearl, my, my magic wand question is if you could just take a magic wand, you can do anything you want, how would you change recommendation systems. And for Brandt, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to throw it back into the movie sphere, especially um, with a lot of what we see going around the world right now. If you could make one movie that every recommendation system would say that everyone should see, um, what would that movie be? And a new one, one you haven't done. Every time I gave a talk, people came to me and said, Pearl, it's time that you address the serendipity issue. And I've always turned away because it's really, really hard. Uh, it's almost like Turing machine hard, right? Because our dream is to build a computer that approximates human intelligence. And I think the way I recommend chocolate to Shali or Shali recommends champagne to me, it's very difficult to approximate that gesture or, uh, or communication. I don't think we're too far away from that. So I, I think it's an inspiration, but I don't have a good answer for you right, right now. <laughs> I have to jump in that the reason, the reason it's very hard for the computer to do that because the computer cannot drink champagne and does not eat the chocolate yet. And I think that that's a problem. That's a real AI problem. How do we make the... Uh, the computer do these humanly things, then, then, then they will change their ideas. I'll offer to be one of the testing aspects here that we'll like <laughs> input into the computer. Is there any chance I could get on the Shali Pearl distribution list? For <laughs> yes, yes, we will. Where are we on this? Okay, so on me. Asking your question. My answer yes. to the question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My answer one. to the question. Well, well, I guess, I guess maybe a bit selfishly, but. Right now, I'm 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 leaving next week to go start filming the Strangers Case, which is um, a film on Syrian refugees. It follows the stories of five different families as they how it relates to the Syrian refugee crisis. It stars John Malkovich, Joe Marcy, Nadine Lebecki, Yasmin Almasri, Jason Begay. I, I guess if I was going to if I was going to wave a magic wand, like my magic wand would be like. 
everybody see that film because for for me like if you were going to ask me what would i like people to feel from film it's empathy i would like people to feel love and and empathy when they watch when they watch my films and and i i because i believe that like if we can put ourselves in the position of people who are in need or in trouble um or who have these experiences and, and from a personal level as a kid like i was i found myself escaping to moments through film and so that helped me understand better different cultures different ideas different races and then yes you go later and experience them because you want to experience those things so my magic wand would be please go see the stranger's case first of all when it's done but secondly like please like watch movies that will watch movies that will give you a a feeling for cultures and and people that you may not otherwise know very well because as people we are very similar and we have so much more alike than we have apart and so like if you just can if we can get down to the basic human root of what makes us the same we love we want success for we want to share meals we we love good food then all of a sudden like all of this all of this other noise and of war and 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 hatred it starts to really get pushed down and dissipate and i think we can have a change in the world it's an optimistic view but that's that's really what i feel my purpose is and and you know judge me based on how i do it at the end well having seen brant's um film as i said at the very beginning i am not artistic but it was it was magnificent refugee which i i saw with brant thank you Thank you so much to both of you again and for this really wonderful conversation but it's also very emotional ones that uh, and I think I to keep thinking about uh how do we make this recommendation system better is we need to have them experience human emotions and that's the real AI comes in because then you have empathy you have all the other feelings otherwise you're just code code right <laughs> literally so uh, i think this is wonderful to bring this kind of artistic creativity and the human passions into into data science i think that's something we really need a lot more so i want to thank both of you again on behalf of liberty and tina and our whole team and and thank you for this wonderful uh, conversation and i do hope that we will run a future episode will focus on champagne chocolate and movie how about that and that will be deal. a fun to, uh, that that's the deal that's a deal Thanks to Dr. Pearl Pugh, senior scientist at the Faculty of Information and Communication Sciences at EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland, and filmmaker Brant Anderson. Thank you for listening to the Harvard Data Science Review podcast. Take care.